I just want to be honest with you this morning. I'd just like to start out with this, that uh, I have an agenda today. And I know that's not a very popular idea. It's not a very nice word these days to say, oh, he's got an agenda. But I certainly do. I am here with a purpose. I want to convince you of something. I'm going to try and persuade you as best I can using the gifts that God has given me, some charm, hopefully some humor. I'm going to try and break down some of your walls so that you could be more open to hearing what I have to say so that you would believe it. I want to offer you scripture because really it doesn't matter what I say, it matters what the Lord says. So I'm going to point you to his truth so that you would believe what he says. I have an agenda to change your faith. And then once you've been convinced of something, once I've gotten you hooked to believe this truth, I have a second agenda, is I want to ruin your life. I want to wreck you in a good way, in a way that changes your actions, your behaviors, your thoughts, the things that you care about most. I'm hoping that through this new belief that we have, our lives would be changed forever. So if you just came as another Sunday, hoping to look forward for something to do with the family before lunch, that's not my agenda. And if I say something funny or if there's something interesting, my agenda was not just to get you thinking, ah, interesting. No, my agenda was far greater than that. I want your life to be changed forever. And I know that I cannot do this on my own. And so again, just to be honest, I've been praying for you all week. I've been praying that God would come in and he'd speak through this sermon. He'd reach through my words and manipulate your soul to change you and bring you closer to himself. To be convinced of this truth that I'm going to share with you and then to change your life because of it. That's what I've been praying for you. And so I'd ask that if we could just pray together that same prayer for one another that would be a good place to start. So let's pray together. Lord, we come to you now with open hearts, I pray, open minds. God, would your truth speak through my words, overcome my shortcomings, get past any errors that I might say in my speech, Anything that I don't understand, would you bring clarity to the listeners? Lord, would you convince us of your truth? Would we be given that gift of faith so that we could believe? And then, Lord, in that faith, would you change us? We put our lives on the table. And we say, Lord, wherever you would lead us, there may we go. So Lord, I pray for all those who hear me now that we would be open to your change. To you belong all glory, Lord. Amen. 
So as I share this first agenda item, this truth that I want to convince you of, some of you might say, oh, that's ridiculous. That couldn't possibly be true. Well, to you that might say that, I'd ask for an open mind. Others might hear it and say, oh, I don't know. That, that's hard to believe. I've got lots of doubts. And to you, I would also say, be patient and wait and listen for the Lord. Still, others of you have probably been around a while. You may say, oh, I've heard this before. I understand this one already. I get it. And you might think it too simple. Well, let me challenge you that just because you know something already does not mean that there is not more to learn. And so be listening for the truth of God and see if there's maybe more to believe. Here's my truth. Here's the thing that I want you to believe. God loves you. God loves you. If you've got a pen and a paper, write that down. And I know you're like, oh no, I can remember it. No, because we often don't. So write it down. God loves you. I think if we were to believe that, yes, very simple truth, that it would change our lives. If we would believe it in the way that God means it when he says it to you. God loves you. So yes, you've probably heard that before, but the question before us is, do you believe it? Do you believe it in the way that God means it? And if you do, if you do believe it, or if maybe you can believe it more this morning, once you've been convinced that God loves you, has it changed your life? So the second part of my agenda, we've got this truth that God loves you, but then I want to have that call you to action. And here's the action that I want you to write down so you can remember this one. Walk in that love. Walk in that love. So God loves you and walk in that love. I hope you have both of those things written down because if we believe it and if we live it, that will wreck our lives. So let's go to God's word to see where he shares this truth with us and see if we can't broaden our understanding at least of God's love for us and how we might walk in it. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Ephesus. It's interesting that the church in Ephesus is like one of those few churches that we actually know quite a bit about in the New Testament because you see its formation in the book of Acts. You get to meet some of the elders and leaders as they talk with Paul in the book of Acts. You have this letter to the church of Ephesus written by Paul. You have in Revelation, Jesus Christ himself writing a letter to the church of Ephesus and you actually see its demise and how it falls. So you see its birth and you see its death and everything in the middle, this church of Ephesus. And God has some very clear things to share with this church. 
and I think they would be good for us to pay attention to. So Ephesians chapter 2, hopefully you're there, and we're going to start in verse 1 and read through 10. So Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, what, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you can see there's a very logical progression in this passage. It starts with where we were, where we all were. You and I were dead. We were lost in our sins, separated from God. And by our lives, by our actions, our deeds, our beliefs, the way we thought, by our desires and what we longed for, we showed that we preferred the world and the ways of pleasure And followed the ways of Satan more than the ways of the Lord. That is where we were. But God, in verse 4, but God, rich in mercy and with great love, it says, great love. He sends Jesus Christ to be our Savior and to rescue us by his grace And we're saved by this faith that is a gift from him so that we can't even ever come to God and say, look what I did. No, it all comes from him as a gift. And then we have the concluding passage in verse verse 10 that then with that faith, we walk by that faith. And we do the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So it makes sense. And that's where we're going. But I think here's where we need to be convinced. Here's where I stumble. Maybe not you, but here's where I stumble. When I read in verse four where it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. That great love, I think I don't quite understand. How great is this love of God really? See, it's easy to say God loves you. It's easy to write that down on a piece of paper. In fact, my family and I the other day were over at Vallas and there were some junior high kids running by and one of them just yells out, God loves you. And I was like, oh, if he only knew how right he was. Because I think he was just trying to be obnoxious. 
but he's speaking the most profound truth that has ever been uttered. But I don't think I truly understand it either. Do we understand what it means when it says that he had great love? The Apostle Paul in chapter one of Ephesians is praying for the church that they would have their hearts opened, the eyes of their hearts enlightened, and so they would understand more of who God is. And in chapter three, he even prays again for the church in Ephesus that they would understand the height and the breadth and the width, like the size of this great love that God has for us. Will they understand it? So my prayer, our question today, is do we understand this great love? So let's talk about it for a minute. Well, we can see just right from our context here that this great love is a love for sinners. It's not a love that is earned in any way. It's not a love that was somehow purchased or bought or prearranged. Not in our view anyway. But in God, he loved us when we deserved nothing but wrath from him. He loved us when we were far from him, living in our rebellion. Paul, in another place, Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite verses, says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, his love for us is a love for broken, sinful, dead people that do not deserve it. That is a kind of great love that I think separates that love from other loves, the loves that we might understand and experience in life. Because I know that we have varying degrees of love, right? I uh, just, again, to be honest, uh, love my family more than I love our dog. I'm not shame to dog lovers, but Shadow is down here and my family's up here. But, you know, I like my dog more than the bird. You know, I buy the bird food, I guess. But that's about as far as I'll go with that, you know. Um, but the bird ranks higher than the squirrels outside because they're on their own with finding food, not giving them anything. And, you know, when I drive by one, it's smushed on the side of the road. It's kind of like, eh, sad, but I keep moving on my day, right? They're, they're pretty down there, pretty low. But here, little secret too, um, even within my kids, right? I've got three children, and I obviously love one more than the other two, <laughs> right? And they're laughing at me, and it's cute, Judah, that you think it's you. I mean, <laughs> uh, no, I was just joking. I asked him if I could tell that joke beforehand because I didn't want to really hurt their feelings. But how bad would it be if I actually thought that? I don't think that. I don't love my kids like that, or at least I don't tell them that. But how many of us, listen now, think that that's the way God feels about us? Where when we think about God loves you, we hear that. We put it on a scale. And we say, well, maybe God loves me more than the animals for sure. Maybe God loves me more than the criminal that's in jail because you know what he did That's pretty bad. So at least he loves me more than that. But he certainly loves me less than the missionary. Loves me less than the great preachers, the world changers. Those that live in obedience, seeing me all the time. Loves me less than that. 
Or maybe we go day to day and say, maybe God loves me more today than he did yesterday because I, I woke up and I did a devotion and I like had a good gospel conversation at McDonald's. So today was a good day and God, God loves me more today. And then tomorrow after I fail, tomorrow when I don't live up to my own expectations, I start to think, well, maybe God loves me less today. Maybe he loves me less than my neighbor. Maybe he loves me less than the rest of my family. We put our, the love that God has for us on a scale. Well, to many of us that would think this way, when we hear verses like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, or when we hear verses like Romans 8, the end of it, where it says, nothing will separate us from the love of God. When we hear songs that we sing about God's love and how much he loves us and the love that we can have in return. When we hear those kinds of things and when we write down, God loves you, we instantly put it on a scale. Let me encourage you and I to stop doing that. Just stop it. God's love is not on a scale like that. His great love for you cannot be measured in that way. It is not measured in how successful you were today, how successful you've been in your life. It is not measured by anything in you. God's love is measured by his love, by himself. Listen to the way Jesus even puts it. Jesus, when he was praying in John 17, there's this little phrase that he says that I think helps us unpack this great love from Ephesians 2, where Jesus, he's praying for you and I, and he has this little statement in John 17, 23, the second half of the verse. He's talking about the unity that he has with the Father and with the Spirit and the unity that he has with us and how we're brought into his family, into relationship with him. And he says this, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. We say that again. He's talking to the Father. He says that you loved them, that's you and I, even as you loved me. God the Father has the same degree of love for you as he does for Jesus Christ. It is the same level of love because you're invited in by faith to enter into the love that the Father has for the Son, that the Son has for the Spirit and for the Father and invited in, adopted into this love relationship. So here's an incredibly bold statement to think about and chew on all day long. That if you are in Christ by faith, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Hmm, stop and think about that for a minute. Because I know that the Father loves the Son with an immeasurable amount of love. That's the great love that we've been invited into. That same source of love that is poured out on Jesus is poured out on us. That is amazing. In fact, I was reading a commentary on this by J. Vernon McGee, and he makes it really simple. And he says, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That boggles the mind 
exclamation point, and then he just leaves it there. What more could be said that boggles the mind? That should cause us to stop and worship this great God of love who loves us not because of who we are, what we've done, but because of who he is and what he has done. This love that the father has for the son is the same love that he has for you and me. And according to our passage here in Ephesians, this is amazing, is that that love was there when I was dead, when I deserved nothing but God's wrath. It was a love that was there when I was purposely running in the opposite direction away from the Lord. God's love for me was there and it is a complete love, a full love, a perfect love. So if you were in Sunday school this morning, there was just a great discussion about the nature of God. And if you weren't there, I encourage you to go back and find that on the website and watch because we just learned so much about the greatness of God. And we even learned this word that I was gonna teach you today. But if you're in Sunday school, you already know it. But it's a theological concept called the immutability of God. The immutability of God means that God does not change. He does not change. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He always has been and always will be. And without making it too complicated, we can just simply leave it at that, that God is unchanging and complete in who he is in his very nature. He does not grow in power because he's already the most powerful. There's nowhere else to go. You could even say that it's impossible for God to get any stronger because he's already the strongest. The same thing about with God's knowledge we talked about in Sunday school. That God's knowledge cannot get any bigger. There's nothing left for him to learn. He already knows all things. Well, just like with those things, the Bible clearly teaches that God is love. So I'd say this, that his love is complete. His love is full and his love is unchanging. He cannot love you any more than he already does because his love for you is complete. So here's another bold statement. The first one is that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. The second one is it is impossible for God to love you any more than he already does. His love for you is full, finished, complete. There's nowhere left for it to grow. It's already the biggest love that could ever be. There's no such thing as a bigger love than the love that God has for you right now. When you didn't deserve it, he gives that love to you freely. My prayer is that we would believe this. We believe this great love and we would just let it wash over us. Because I think we often get it wrong and we think of God and his love as far too small. Reminded that uh, in high school, our, uh, we had some neighbors that were Mormons. And in my arrogance as a teenager, I thought, ooh, I can go convert them. And so I was uh, on a mission to go have all these great debates with my Mormon neighbors and have these great discussions about theology and doctrine. And in one of these discussions, uh, I remember talking to them and they gave me an illustration that I'll never forget. 
It's an illustration for me to remember how not to think about God. And with all due respect to my neighbors, I do not think that is a biblical idea. But here's what they told me. They said, see, we as people were created by God and we're getting better and better. And their view of the end times and what would happen is that we would continue to grow better and better, bigger and bigger, stronger and stronger, that God would teach us things. And after millions or billions of years, that one day we would be like God is today. And they said, imagine a ladder that's just going up and up and up. And God is on this ladder. And then he creates us and we're way down here on this ladder. And then over time, we keep climbing in our abilities and knowledge and wisdom. And one day we'll be at the rung of the ladder where God is at. But they said, but don't worry, God is also climbing this ladder. And so he will be higher than us. We'll never catch him. He will always be greater than us. And I remember the son saying, wow, could you imagine how great God would be then? When we're like God is today, imagine how much better he'll be then. Let me tell you, the Bible says that God is already at the top of that ladder. He's always been at the top of that ladder. He's never had to climb any rung. He's already the best that ever was, the best that ever could be. We will never reach him. And he will never change from that spot of authority and power and wisdom. And then think about this, and love. His love is full and great and perfect. His love for you has always been there because it flows from who he is. He loved you before you were even created. He'll love you a million years from today and that love will be a full, complete love and it has been there the entire time. God loves you with this great love. Jesus said it again in a very similar way in John 15, 13. He says, the greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Jesus did for you. He laid down his life for you when you were rebelling against him. And he showed you the greatest love that could ever exist. It's impossible for God to have a greater love for you. It's already full. So here's my agenda again. I just want you to believe that. I want you to believe that God loves you with that great immeasurable love. Not a small love that's on this scale in our minds, but a great love that is rich in mercy, full of grace. This great love that he can have, that he has for you when you're in Christ. I want you to believe that, to accept his love. Spend the week just meditating and rejoicing in this love that God has for us. This inability to contain the love. I named this sermon, the title of it is Uncontainable Love. I know we don't have bulletins, so many of us don't see the titles very often. But that title actually caught John's eye earlier this week when we were talking about it. Because we had been talking about this sermon, that it was going to try and be a missions sermon. Following on the heels of David Flink last week, 
and I was going to talk about missions and the GO team, which stands for our global outreach team. We're going to start meeting again, and we want to be people that are zealous to go and zealous to send for God's glory. And John, he says to me, he's like, is this still a mission sermon? You've titled it Uncontainable Love? I said, yes, because what I want is for that Tupperware container of your heart to be so overflowing with God's love that it has some outlets. And those outlets could be the go team, could be teaching, could be raising your kids in love, could be praying, could be evangelizing. It's going to spill out in so many different ways. That's what I mean by my second agenda item, to walk in that love. I want you to walk in this love that God has for us because it's uncontainable. The more you think about it, the more you dwell on God's love, I believe that that's gonna cause in you more of a living out, living in love to God and living in love to people. We're gonna be overwhelmed with this uncontainable love. And we need to be. Because I could come up and preach a missions sermon and tell you all about the billions of people around the world who do not know Christ. I could show many pictures of poverty and those who are in broken homes and suffering great injustices. And should we care about those things? Yes. But we're not going to gin up enough love within ourselves to lay down our lives for those people out there unless we're first filled and overflowing with the love of God. And so we first need to start with that point that it's God's love in us that flows through us that makes us into world changers, that does wreck our life, our priorities, the way we think, the things that we desire to do. God's love in, love in us will change that. And if we don't do it that way, then I think we're in danger of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. That if you have all the gifts, all the skill, all the talent, all the availability, but it's without love, you're like a noisy gong. You're an annoying nuisance. Because you cannot serve the kingdom of God without first serving the king of love. You're not going to be an effective missionary bringing the love of God until you first experience and believe this love of God. You're not going to ever convince anyone that God loves them in their sin if you have such a hard time believing that God loves you in your sin. So if we're going to be effective at going out and taking this message of Jesus to our family, our friends, and the world, we had better understand how he loves us. Because we have here verse 10 in Ephesians where Paul concludes this section about God's great love and the grace that he has for us and how we're saved by faith. Then he concludes it by saying, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I've always thought it was interesting how this line just kind of gets tacked on to the end of this. It almost, in my mind, seemed out of place. What is Paul trying to say? 
He says, I want you to go do something now. Now that you believe in this great love, I want you to go do it. Go act it out. Respond to the great love that God has given to you. If you believe it, it will cause you to respond. These good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do are there as outlets for the overwhelming love that God has for us. We don't do these things so that God loves us. We don't do these things to to show that we're deserving of this love. We do these things because of his love, empowered by his love, propelled by his love. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says it this way, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, this love of Christ, it controls us. It changes our actions, our behaviors, and it stirs in us a motivation to walk in love. And we walk in love in so many different ways. I could easily just say, hey, let's all go on the mission field. But God says he's going to stir in us a love that's going to come out in a variety of gifts, talents, abilities, opportunities that he's placed uniquely in your life so that you could walk in them. Whether it's to be a great mom and love your kids well, to love the neighbor that's next to you, to love your coworker, to serve well, to give generously, to pray out loud with words for someone else. Sometimes that's the most loving thing we can do. And we will walk in this love. Because walking in any other way than walking in love is walking away from the Lord. Walking in any other way than walking in love is walking away from the Lord. So this is a mission sermon. I do want you to change your life, to give up the things that would distract you from God's mission. I want you to live on mission this mission of love. I want you to pray faithfully, share regularly, lead and care for others who need it because you're so overwhelmed by the Lord's love. I want you to maybe think about it this way. That if you could imagine the the Lord's love is like a river. It's like this great river of love. That its source, its originating point is the Lord himself. And here comes this great river of love flowing to you. And it's just consistently there day after day. And it always will be. And nothing you can do can stop it. Nothing you can do can prevent it. There's no drought that will come that will end it. His river of love is consistent and always on its way. And I love this idea of the river of God's love because then I think of what Jesus said, how we should have faith like a child. Have you ever noticed the different ways 
children get into water as opposed to how adults get into water. And my kids give me the hardest time about this sometimes because I'm such a pansy. I like get in, I want to test it, right? I put my foot in like, ooh, it's cold, right? And then especially like swimming pools that have stairs, you do that thing where you put your feet in, you're like, I don't know if I want to be in here. And you take one more step and you're trying to get acclimated, trying to get used to it. And you take another little step. And you got to hold the handrail. I don't want to slip. Now I'm getting old, right? And this is, oh, I don't know, right? And you're kind of back up. Okay, I'll try again in 10 minutes, right? But then if you're a kid, water, woo! I'm in, right? We need to have faith like a little child and do a cannonball into the river of God's love. Just go all in, jump in. We don't need to try it to get acclimated. We don't need to test that water. We can trust that water. And wherever the river of God's love leads us, that's a good place to go. So when the current starts pulling you downstream, yeah, it's somewhere new. It's somewhere different. I don't know if I've done this before. It's kind of frightening. I can't see the bottom. Trust the source that the love of God for you is great and it will lead you to these good works that he has prepared for you to do. His love for you is complete. His love for you is full. We will spend eternity trying to understand it trying to accept it, trying to fully believe it. There's a reason why Paul prayed that they would have their, the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that they would see the width and the breadth and the length of God's love. Because I think we often think it far too small. So let's jump into this river of God's great love. Let it overwhelm us and let it propel us and push us on to do great things for him and his kingdom. So remember this, God loves you. Walk in that love. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this great love. I think we've only scratched the surface of how great it really is. To think that you would love us so much in our sin, in our brokenness and rebellion, that you give Jesus Christ to live on this earth, to die in our place, to bring us forgiveness and new life, to give us new hearts that are capable of receiving this love and then spreading it around to the world. Lord, I pray for all of us here today that we would embrace your love. It is always there. It is ever flowing. But Lord, may we jump in, believe it. And where we don't believe, Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, lead us on to do great things in your name and for your glory all because of your love with which you have loved us. Lord, to you be praise and glory and honor forever and ever.